Good morning, and welcome to the Quincy Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here with us today. Our text this morning comes from Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 34. I'll be reading out of the New International Version this morning. And once again, the text is going to be Genesis chapter 25, starting with verse 19. It says, This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick! Let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of the first things that we see in this story is that Isaac is doing things a little bit differently than Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, if you'll remember, spent a lot of time barren waiting for the promised child. And when the promised child didn't arrive, they took matters into their own hands and had Ishmael. Isaac seems to have learned something. Instead of taking matters into his own hands to bring about the promise, he prays to God. And it's easy to look at this and be like, wow, Isaac seeks God, God answers, Rebecca seeks God, and God answers, these guys have it right. Their lives must have been great. I want you to notice something, though. In the text, it's kind of easy to pass over here. It says that they were 40 years old when they were married, and they were 60 years old when they had boys. That's 20 years of unanswered prayer. We don't know how long before Rebecca's prayers answered. That was probably within nine months. But, but we don't know when 
Isaac started seeking God about his wife marrying this or the promise. We do know that it took 20 years for God to answer if he started praying for a boy right away. I want you to notice something else in this text. It immediately jumps from this little section of 20 years about Isaac and Rebekah, in which we learn almost nothing else about them other than they sought God, to the boys struggling within her womb. And throughout the rest of this, we get a little account of the ways in which these two boys are going to interact with the world. They've wrestled with each other in her womb, uh, presumably for the honor of coming out first, though babies don't usually probably actually think about that. The stories think about that. Jacob is lost, and he comes out grasping Esau's heel. Grasping is going to be one of the themes of their story. They want what is theirs, and they're going to get it by whatever means necessary. And God makes a surprising promise that subverts the expected order. God sides with the powerless, the weak, the younger brother, the barren woman, the tiny, powerless people living in the midst of a much stronger nation who are writing this story. God says, you know, nobody's going to expect this but I'm going to bring about a reversal of the expected order. Esau's described as an ideal older sibling who's going to inherit everything. He's rough, he's rugged, he's strong, he's outdoorsy, he loves hunting, he's very much a man's man. And he takes what he wants, what's already his, Jacob is more refined, he's clever, soft, conniving, a bit of a homebody, takes care of the animals around the tents, but he's also, also always grabbing and clinging to what he wants. So we get this story that kind of encapsulates the relationship. Esau has been out all day hunting or doing something else outside. Maybe he went on a big hike. I don't actually know, it doesn't tell us. He spent at least all day outside and he is hungry. He is so hungry, he will do anything to fill his belly. Jacob's been at home making stew all day and that stew's starting to smell pretty good. And the beans are starting to be just that perfect texture for eating. It's just about time to eat. And Jacob is probably hungry too, though we don't actually know this. And Esau comes in, give me some of that stew. And Jacob, being the sly younger brother, says, oh, what will you give me for it? How about your birthright? And Esau says, I'm going to die anyway. I'm so hungry. Feed me. Jacob says, well, promise me. And so Esau promises the birthright without a second thought, according to the text. Esau might not even think anything of it 
Like, look at us, this. Isaac is still alive, and Isaac will give this to whoever he wants anyway. And obviously, Isaac loves Esau. Esau's probably not even worried about this. Esau gets his immediate gratification. And the Edomites in the Bible, whenever you see this, will be characterized as the people who take what they want when they want it. Who are always hungry and looking for the next thing to satisfy them. You'll notice, though, that God is silent in this last part of the story. Isaac sought God and God answered. Rebekah sought God and God answered. Esau and Jacob are so busy struggling with each other that neither of them seeks God. And God doesn't give any commentary on their actions. Neither boy is commended for behaving like the nations. God describes them as behaving like nations already in the womb, already fighting with each other. But neither is condoned. Both will become great people. Both will continue to struggle and fight. I can't help but think, though, that there might have been a better way for their family relationships, at any rate, to be more healthy. The reversal of the expected order by God didn't have to mean that the family would be torn apart. Look for a second with me at Philippians 2, 5 through 8, where we get specific instructions about this kind of behavior. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mind, attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If you read just a little bit further, you'll see, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. These two boys in our story today behaved like the nations. Think about it for a few minutes. You have the nations with the big, powerful military might. Perhaps even nations with the most expensive military in the world. Who can throw their weight around and often get what they want. You have nations that have to resort to being sly and cunning to trick people into deals to get what they want. Within the nations, you have different people who approach the politics of the nation in these two ways. 
sometimes even within the same person, depending on your position in relation to another person, you might be able to use power to get what you want, or the other person might be more powerful, and so then you resort to slimy enemy maneuvers. But none of that is none of that results in resting on God's promise. None of that results in living the kind of life God wants us to live. It's one of the reasons Jesus came to teach us how to live, and Philippians exhorts us to have the same attitude of mind, the same way of being in the world as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not cling to was made the lowest, most despised, most powerless person to the point of his death on the cross. And that's where God worked and showed us that the things that we think are strong and powerful and worth grasping actually have no power or place in the kingdom of God. The good news is, God has sent his Holy Spirit to empower each of us who's willing to cooperate with him to live in kingdom life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for challenging the ways that we interact with power in, in this world. Thank you for choosing the lowly, the despised, the things that are not, to multiply the things that are. Thank you for subverting our expectations and turning our worlds upside down. God, it's not comfortable or easy to let go of grasping for what we think is or may actually be rightfully ours. Help us trust you this week. Empower us to live according to the example of Christ Jesus, who having everything, the most power ever, did not cling to it but became one of us. Showing us what true greatness looks like. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This benediction is for us today. May God, who began a good work in you, carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Go in God's peace. See you next week.